0: Days like this are hard. I've always professed that weather need never be feared, only respected. But stories like this defy that comprehension. This is real life on a planet that really lives and breathes and on which we are only passengers and nothing more. Hi, I'm Chris May, writer, producer, and host of This Day in Weather History, now in its second year from The Weather Network in Canada. Today we look back at the John B. King drillship detonation that happened June 26, 1930, this day in weather history. The John B. King drillship was the largest drill boat in Canada at the time. She had just finished drilling the holes and was being led by the charged dynamite detonation wires pulling away from the site when struck by lightning, detonating the underwater charges as well as the dynamite on board. The tragedy was witnessed by people ashore and by the captain and crew of an American revenue cutter that would later play a pivotal role in the immediate response. Let's start by taking a look at the weather on that day. The storm itself had been ongoing in the region for about an hour. This was actually the first severe thunderstorm in the Brookville and Thousand Island area for weeks, and the accompanying rain was looked upon as a welcome relief from the extreme heat and humidity of the past few days. The men on the drill boat, unaware of the intensity and capabilities of such a storm, kept working. They were at the northeast point of Coburn Island, about a mile and a half west of Brookville, well out in the main channel of the St. Lawrence River. Their task was to widen and deepen this seaway. It was during this time when suddenly a severe bolt of lightning struck the ship and detonated a large quantity of dynamite with which the holes beneath and alongside the vessel had been loaded during the afternoon this ship had charges loaded into the blast holes the charge wires were attached and there were more charges on board this situation was fully loaded the craft was immediately blown apart in spectacular fashion by the bolt. Wreckage was hurled over 60 meters into the air and its concussion was felt by everything within several kilometers. When the smoke had cleared, virtually no trace of the ship was to be seen and most of the crew had disappeared beneath the waves. Welcome to year two of this podcast. Right now, you're listening to the full version of today's story on your favorite podcast provider, but there's also the daily podcast video short. They're shot right here in my podcast recording studio, so you get that perspective. But oftentimes, they will include visuals from that day's event, from when it happened, in weather history. So after listening to the full story, go check out the podcast video short on television or online anytime at theweathernetwork.com forward slash Weather History. The most in-depth and complete recounting of the story was written over several days in the then-known-as-the-Toronto-Globe newspaper. Here is a quote from that original writing. There was a great flash, a cloud of smoke, and when the smoke had blown away, the drill boat had gone down, and only a few survivors struggling in the water were to be seen. This from a Mrs. C. Walkleed, who was sitting on the veranda of her cottage on the Canadian side of the border. But what of the American boat I mentioned earlier that was nearby? Captain G.B. Locke of the United States revenue cutter, the CGQ-2, Well, they were only about a kilometer away and reported seeing a blinding flash and hearing a deafening explosion. It is suspected that when the explosion occurred after the lightning bolt, some members of the crew were likely still sitting in their bunks and they, with the others reported lost, probably never had a chance for their lives. In all, 13 bodies were found, 17 lost forever, accounting for the 30 who were confirmed having died that day. 11 others, badly injured, were rescued and brought to shore. It was felt in the days that followed that the site of the drill boat disaster should be marked with a cairn or some sort of memorial. That was written in the Toronto Globe on Thursday, August 14th of 1930. And true to form, a large granite monument on Coburn Island pays tribute today to the men who lost their lives that night. July 26, 1930, this day in weather history. Hey, do you like the podcast? Tell us about it. Have a story you wish to share about a weather related event? Tell us about it. Love weather stories and never want to miss one? Tell me about it. <laughs> I have the cure for all. Subscribe to This Day in Weather History wherever you're listening to me right now. There's a button for that. Then rate and review the episodes you listen to. There's a button for that. Sharing stories is easy too. You can follow me on Twitter at Mayday, T-W-N. That's at M-E-I-D-A-Y-TWN. And let me know who you are, where you are, and a story that affected your life. And I'll mention them on an upcoming episode. Tomorrow is June 27th. The course that would shape the Beijing Olympics could have been changed forever, especially when considering one particular American Olympian who was set to break even more records. I think we know where we're going with this one already. So I guess I'll see you tomorrow. For the June 27th, 2008, what I'm calling the Quest for Gold, Interrupted, spelled Q-W-E-S-T. Ah, there's another clue. On this day in weather history, with me, your host, Chris May.